Let us get into the reading of God's word. So if you could, please turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42 through 47. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have it on the screen, but we also have a pew Bible, and you can find Acts chapter 2 on page 857. When you get there, please stand as we honor the word of the Lord and read together. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, we do thank you for this day that you have given to us. God, we are grateful that we are able to come together and worship you, the one true God. Lord, today we are blessed as we think about the church, and specifically as we think about this church and the legacy of this church for 75 years here in Santa Barbara. God, we give you praise and honor, not so much for the faithfulness of this church, although that is praiseworthy, but we give you praise and honor because of the faithfulness of our God, that you are faithful to your word, that you are faithful to your gospel, and that you are faithful to your church. Jesus, you promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. You promised that your church would endure to the end. And so God, we know that ultimately, every true and faithful church exists because of your commitment to them, more so than their commitment to you. God, we thank you for your holy word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. God, without your word, we're lost and we're hopeless. And so today, God, we honor you, we worship you, and we thank you that you have given us your holy word. And we pray now as we open up this passage of scripture together that you would give us humble and attentive hearts and that you would give us soft and pliable hearts. God, that we would be a people who want to honor you with the way that we live, that we would be a church community that wants to honor you with the way that we live and serve. So God, please use your holy word to encourage us, use your word to instruct us, to guide us and to build us up in our faith today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Go ahead and please grab a seat. In 1948, a group of Christians supported by Calvary Baptist Church in Ventura established a new church here in Santa Barbara called Temple Baptist Church. The church first met at the City Club on Anacapa Street until they purchased property on Delavina Street in 1954. And then finally, they settled here at 4485 Hollister Avenue in 1962. Temple Baptist would later become Faith Baptist until five and a half years ago, 
when this church was renamed Apostles Church. And what this means is that today, here in 2023, we are celebrating the 75th anniversary of a faithful gospel-preaching church existing here in Santa Barbara. And today we will celebrate. We'll feast together after this over at Tucker's Grove and enjoy each other's company. But here in this service, our desire is to honor the history and the legacy of this church primarily by honoring the Lord because it's his faithfulness, as I was just praying, that has sustained this church over these many years and has blessed it with the life and the spiritual vibrancy that we see among us here today. The psalmist in Psalm 145 verse 4 says this. He says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Friends, there have been many mighty acts of the Lord over the 75-year history of this church. And it is good and it is right and it is fitting for us to commend God's works and to declare them to the next generation. Now this church, like every true and faithful church, was born out of a desire to see the great commission of Jesus fulfilled. Of course, the great commission is found at the end of Matthew's gospel. It's Jesus charging the church or commissioning the church with her job description. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. We read, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This church was born out of that desire to see disciples being made here in Santa Barbara, to see the name of Jesus being proclaimed, to see people coming to faith in Christ, and being forgiven of their sins, and being brought into right relationship with God, and see them get baptized, and see them discipled, and grow, and mature as they're taught all that Jesus commanded them. We see this heart on display, in fact, in a touching letter that was discovered in the steeple of the the sanctuary that we're sitting in this morning. As I mentioned, this church occupied this property in 1962. But a decade later, in 1972, they constructed the sanctuary that we're worshiping in. And when they do, they put a time capsule in the steeple. And there was a letter in that time capsule that has since been discovered. And I want to read a little bit of it to you this morning. And I want you to notice the emphasis here on fulfilling the Great Commission in the heart of these saints from 1972. Here's what they wrote. Our dear friends, in this year of our Lord, 1972, we do not know, of course, how many, if any of us, will be living when you read this letter, but nevertheless, our greetings to the saints of Temple Baptist Church in this year of our Lord. We pray that whatever challenge motivated the replacement of this steeple or the destruction or replacement of this building was a challenge many times stronger than that which we accepted when we entered on this venture of faith to build this building. If an act of God caused the destruction of this building, we pray that you may take it as the will of God, I love this line, to do greater things for his glory. In this year of 1972, the church majored on evangelism, winning people to Jesus Christ. 
In this year, there was a special emphasis on winning and utilizing the youth for Christ. The young people of our church are being used in many different places in their music work and testimony for the glory of God. Powerful. 1972. This church family, many of whom have gone on to be with the Lord, wrote that letter. Their heart was for the lost. Their heart was to see people come to Jesus. So yes, this church was born out of a desire to see people reach for the Lord and fulfill the great commission. But this church was also founded on the same principles that the early church was founded founded upon that we just read about together in Acts chapter 2. After the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which is recorded for us earlier in Acts chapter 2, the earliest Christians didn't just float around Jerusalem as individuals who had a personal relationship with God and just go at it alone. No, that was not the case at all. What they did is they formed a church. They were a committed spiritual family. They were the body of Christ. We see this in verse 46 of chapter 2 here. Look at Acts 2 verse 46. It says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. The early church came together regularly and consistently in their worship of the Lord. And in this daily coming together, these earliest of Jesus followers were committed to four things that are recorded for us here in Acts chapter 2. The first of them is this, the apostles' teaching. Look again at your Bible. Look at verse 42. Here's what it says. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to it. They were committed to it. Now, the apostles were those foundational leaders through whom Jesus Christ established and built the church. The apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus himself. They saw him. They heard his teaching firsthand. They handled him physically as they touched him and were hugged by him. They were eyewitnesses. Not only that, the apostles were directly commissioned by Jesus to be his authoritative witnesses in the world. Jesus even promised to the apostles that when he departed, the Holy Spirit would come to them and recall to their remembrance everything that Christ taught so that they could faithfully communicate it to others. It was the apostles who were the first preachers of the message of Jesus Christ. The Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2 was preached by the apostle Peter where some 3,000 people got saved. And it was the apostles of Jesus who were the authors of what has become the New Testament of the Holy Scriptures. Because the promise of Jesus came true and the Holy Spirit did fill them and inspire them them to remember and record for us everything that Jesus commanded. And guess what? It was to their teaching that the earliest Christians devoted themselves. What this means is that there is a body of of teaching, or you could call it a body of doctrine that the early church was instructed by, that the early church was guided by, that the early church was formed by. 
The earliest Christians were not just making this up as they go, trying to figure out what Christianity was going to be. And family, that same body of teaching that the earliest Christians in Jerusalem were devoting themselves to is available to us still to this day. It is the word of God. So you could say that the early church was devoted to or committed to or faithful to the word of God. That was commitment number one. And as the pastor of this church, it encourages me so deeply to know that for 75 years, over several generations, many different pastors and hundreds, if not thousands of different members, this church has been committed to the word of God. Going back to the letter that I already read from that was found in the steeple of this church, there was one other thing that was placed alongside that letter in that time capsule. I'll let the saints from 1972 tell you what it is. At the end of the letter, we read these words, and I quote, We are enclosing herewith a new copy of the King James Version of the Holy Bible. This is to implement God's promise that his word would never perish. And then they write, God bless you, dear friends. And we look forward to that wonderful day when all of you will join us in that blissful, happy eternity with the Lord Jesus in heaven, prayerfully in Christ Jesus, Pastor Bill Lewis and the members of Temple Baptist Church, Santa Barbara. Powerful. For 75 years, this church has been anchored in the word of God and the gospel of his grace, which alone has the power to bring people into a loving relationship with God. And guess what? Here at Apostles in 2023, we are still devoted to the word of God. Apostles Church is centered on the idea that Christianity is something that we inherit not something that we invent. Every generation of Christians is called to be stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do not make it up as we go. We steward what has been handed down to us. And so as a church family, our goal is not to be novel. Our goal is simply to be faithful What has God given to us? What has God said to us? That's what matters. And that's what we want to center our lives and our church and our worship upon. In the church of Jesus Christ, we are not content creators. We are content distributors. And there's a huge difference. It's the difference of running a magazine versus running a newspaper. If you run a magazine, you're in the business of content creation. You're creating brand new content for every new issue that you publish. If you're in the newspaper business or the news business, in a perfect world, (laughs) you are a content distributor. You're just reporting what's already happened. You're stewarding information that's happening in real time in the world. Here at Apostles Church, we seek to be in continuity with the faith and the practice handed down by the apostles of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you've ever been curious, this is why we're called Apostles Church. If you showed up today hoping to see us handling snakes or slaying people in the spirit, sorry to disappoint you. 
What we're about here and the reason why we're called Apostles Church is the same thing that the church has been about for 2,000 years. The Apostles' teaching, which is recorded for us in the Holy Scriptures. The second commitment listed here is the fellowship. Look again, please, with me at your Bibles in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now that word or that expression, the fellowship, refers to their life, their shared life, I should say, both with our triune God and with one another. We see this unpacked for us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to put it on the screen. I want you to notice both the shared life together and their shared life with God. Here's what the Apostle John writes. He says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Again, remember, these are eyewitnesses of Jesus. We've seen this. We heard it ourselves and we're sharing it with you. And why are we sharing it with you? He says, so that you too may have fellowship with us. So this is the fellowship with one another. And indeed, he says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So these earliest of Christians are devoted to the fellowship, both their fellowship with the triune God and their fellowship with one another. Now, many of you are aware of this, but the Greek word here is a a word, koinonia. And the word means fellowship, or it means communion, or it means sharing, or it means participation. And so, it was their practice as Christians 2,000 years ago to participate in the life of God by being in relationship with the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, it was their practice to share in life together as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ as one spiritual family. Look at verse 44 in Acts chapter 2. We get a great picture of this. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This was life together. There there was a, a culture in the early church of mutual care, deep relational bonds of love and support for one another. In short, they were a new spiritual family. Now this might sting for a couple of you, but I've got to say it. They didn't just show up for 90 minutes once per week and sneak into the sanctuary when the songs were already being sung. Maybe greet one or two people briefly in passing and then hurry out during the final hymn. No, 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 that was not their practice. They they were devoted, we read, to the fellowship. They were together in the temple, we read, daily and in one another's homes, breaking bread, these people knew each other, they loved each other, and they served and supported each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. This church has a long history of deeply formed relationships 
of mutual care and love and support. When my family and I arrived here at the end of 2017, there were only about 15 people or so that were here. But I was instantly struck by the fact that each of these people had been here for decades. And not only that, but they were all so very close to each other. They loved each other. They knew each other. And their bonds of friendship and mutual service and their shared history at this church ran very, very deep. And and I think in part, that was what caused them to say, we can't let this church close down. We have to keep this church moving forward. We have photo albums from this church over the decades filled with pictures of warm and deep fellowship in this church. Pictures of potlucks and bowling nights, whale watching tours, pool parties, the annual ladies night out event, which check this out. This is such a cool idea. Every year, the men of this church Brothers, we got to step up here. The men of this church would put on an event where the ladies would get dressed up like it was prom or something, okay? They'd get dressed super nice. They'd go to the fellowship hall, and the men would cook them a beautiful meal. The men would be dressed up like waiters in a restaurant, looking really sharp, and they would go and they would just serve the women and wait on them hand and foot. And the women would sit in fellowship and enjoy this beautiful meal together. And there are so many pictures of just year after year, you'd see a group of men outside the fellowship hall looking all nice, arms around each other with big old smiles on their faces because they're serving and loving the women. And pictures of the women inside the church having a great time relating with each other and sharing life together. Not only that, there are numerous wedding invitations and funeral invitations There is a rich history of deep and abiding fellowship over 75 years in this church. And today, by God's grace, this same koinonia is evident. As I've shared many times, the most common compliment that I receive as the pastor of this church is not about how great the preaching is. It's okay, Daniel, just keep a stiff upper lip. It's okay. And no, it's not about how great the music is. Sorry, Ryan. Stand strong, brother. You're doing awesome. No, the the greatest compliment, the most consistent compliment we get about this church is about the fellowship of this church. We hear it constantly. As Ryan and I meet with people who fill out connect cards and we ask them about the church and their experience and people are blown away by the warmth of this church body. That they don't feel like when they walk in, there's these cliques that are already formed here that they can't get into. They feel like they are actually seen and valued and people want to hear from them and know them and know their story. And people want to invite them into this community and help them assimilate and get acclimated here at Apostles Church. And for that, I am profoundly grateful. Many churches quote Jesus' famous words in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But much fewer churches actually embody them. And listen, I'm not naive enough to think that we perfectly embody them either. But there can be no doubt that Apostles Church is committed to the fellowship. Well, the third commitment of the early church was the breaking of bread. Look again at your Bibles, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship 
and the breaking of bread, which I'm going to argue is a reference to the ordinance of communion. So that we would want to say that the early church was committed to the ordinances of the church. Just hang in there while I unpack that. There really are two options for what is meant by this expression in Acts 2.42, the breaking of bread. On one hand, there's a school of thought and a school of biblical interpretation that argues that all that is in mind there is more fellowship. The idea of just sharing meals together, having uh, or breaking bread together and having meals and, and having fellowship in the church. The argument comes from the fact that that is clearly the meaning of the expression down in verse 46. Look at Acts 2.46. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So again, one school of thought says the breaking of bread in 42 is, again, explained in verse 46. It's just having meals with people in your home. But it could also, and I believe it does, refer refer to communion or the Lord's Supper. The key is that in verse 42, the expression there in the Greek language has what's called the definite article, which is translated with the word the. Notice it there again in the text. It says that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. And that definite article can indicate a unique or a specific kind of breaking of bread. And it seems more logical that rather than being redundant in verse 46, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is talking about one thing, namely communion in verse 42, and then is talking about having meals together in verse 46. When Jesus established communion, remember, he took the bread and he broke it and he said this, this is my body, broken for you. The Apostle Paul, while discussing communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, he writes this, he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So the breaking of bread became a stock phrase for communion during the time of the New Testament. And so what we see then here in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 is that in addition to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the early church was devoted to the two ordinances that Christ gave to the church, which are baptism and communion. Now all you careful expositors of scripture are going, wait, 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 hold on. Where'd you get baptism here? I didn't read anything about baptism. The answer is just, Just back up one verse. Look at verse 41, Acts 2, 41. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then now in verse 42, we see their devotion to communion or the Lord's Supper. The early church was devoted to, committed to these two ordinances that Christ gave to the church. Again, the ordinance of baptism, which is the initiatory ordinance. When you put your faith in Jesus and you decide, I want to be a disciple of Jesus and I'm trusting in him as my Lord and Savior, then your first step ought to be, I need to go get baptized. I need to identify myself with the Lord Jesus and with the church, the family of God. And that is done through baptism. 
And then, of course, Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper, as we already talked about, in the upper room, the night before he was betrayed. This church has been committed to these very same two ordinances for seven and a half decades. When the construction of this sanctuary happened in 1972, a baptistry was deemed an essential part of the church plan. And they added the baptistry and they actually put it right here underneath that cross so as to make baptism a focal point of the public worship of this church. It was immediately put to use and the first person baptized in this building was Linda Kirby, who is still a member of this church today. The church also kept a meticulous records of baptism for most of its history so that we could say today that well over a thousand people have been baptized publicly as followers of Jesus Christ in this sanctuary alone. And some of you are still sitting here today. Praise God. Similarly, this church has faithfully administered communion as a regular part of its public worship for 75 years. In fact, up until recently, you would have seen a table, a big wood table that was placed in front of the stage right here uh, on Sunday mornings. And on the front of that table, it said, this do in remembrance of me, which is Yoda speech for do this in remembrance of me. But it was, <laughs> some of you were like, Oh, I see what he's doing there. But they would have that here as as a reminder of the central place that the Lord's Supper is meant to take in our public worship, that Jesus called us to regularly regularly have that meal together, keeping our attention and our focus on the sacrifice of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Today, we serve communion on the first Sunday of every month. And on those Sundays, we make it a significant part of our Sunday liturgy. It's an ongoing encouragement to our faith. It's a joyful celebration of our shared identity as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And today we baptize believers as often as someone new puts their faith in Jesus and chooses to be his disciple. And whenever we do, as you know, it's a significant part of our Sunday liturgy. It's a focal point of our worship service that morning because baptism is central to the public worship of the church. So the church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. The church was devoted to the fellowship. The church was devoted to the ordinances that Jesus gave to it. And finally, we see that the church was devoted to the prayers. Look at verse 42 one last time. And I want you to notice the definite article again. Here's what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So this is likely referring then to regularly scheduled times of prayer, which was already built into the worship life of these earliest followers of Jesus because they were Jews in Jerusalem. And they had a practice of going to the temple at different hours for prayer throughout the day. And we see reference to that even in the next chapter in the book of Acts. And so again, as they're devoted to the prayers, it's a reference to these regularly scheduled prayer meetings. And it's also a reference to certain prayers that they were committed to praying. Prayers that they would offer from the scriptures. 
Many of the Psalms would have been included in that. The Lord's Prayer would have been included in that. And as you read the book of Acts and and the epistles of the apostles, it is abundantly clear that the early church was devoted to prayer. They were committed. They prayed constantly. They prayed constantly and they prayed with fervency. And we see so many examples in the scriptures of God doing mighty things, supernatural things on the backs of the prayers of his people. It's profound. It's amazing. And of course, as they saw God respond to their prayers, it just motivated and encouraged more prayers and more fervency and more urgency. I mean, when Peter was imprisoned and they were afraid that he was about to be killed for his faith and they just prayed all night and kept praying and praying and praying and then Peter showed up and knocked on the door and they had Peter delivered back to them and it was because an angel opened up the prison and delivered Peter. That motivated the church. If we can get our friends out of prison by praying, what else might God want to do as we pray? And they were a people of serious and faithful and urgent prayer. And I love that the history of this church attests to the fact that generations of believers here have been committed to prayer. And that was especially clear as I was reading through the literature and the, the history of our church, it was especially clear in seasons of great challenge and in seasons of great difficulty. And This church has faced many challenges over its 75 years. In the first 35 years, it was the challenge of stable leadership. In the course of the first, listen to this, the first 35 years, there were 17 different senior pastors or interim senior pastors. That means the average tenure of a senior pastor here was barely over two years. Now I'm on year six, so that makes me a pretty solid veteran, I think. Now, primarily, the reason why pastors were struggling to stay here longer than two years was due in large part to the high cost of living and other economic factors that made it difficult for pastors to stay here long term in a young and a small church. But the church continued to pray and God continued to provide new pastors. One of the greatest challenges in the life of this church came about seven years ago. When this congregation found itself once again without a pastor. And for many months, a small group of faithful members earnestly prayed that God in his grace would once again provide for them a pastor. They desperately wanted to see this work continue. Yes, there were talks about whether or not to close this church down. But those few faithful saints who were here couldn't bring themselves to do that. So instead, they brought themselves to prayer. And in time, God connected them to a young, prematurely balding pastor and his family. But he has a great personality, so that's, that's worth a lot. This family and this pastor came from a church of 12,000 people in Riverside. This church was about 12 people in Santa Barbara. Could this really work? Well, with a lot of prayer and discussion, God made it clear that this could, in fact, work. And by faith, we set out on this journey together. When I got here to this church, we had very little in the way of resources. We had very little money. We had very few people who were young enough and able-bodied enough 
to jump in and help with the rebuilding of this community of faith. But the upside of that was that it made us incredibly dependent on the Lord. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. We, we prayed about little things like money for diapers in our nursery. We prayed about big things. We prayed about everything it felt like because everything was unknown and we didn't have much and we just kept asking the Lord. And so we prayed and we felt like we were praying for all things. And that's as it should be, right? So often God brings us in the life of our churches and in our own personal lives to a place of complete weakness and vulnerability precisely so that we will learn to depend on him, to rely on him, or to put it differently, so that we'll learn to be prayerful. Today, we have more people and more resources than we did five years ago. And for that, we praise God. But I would submit to you that one challenge that we will continue to face as a healthy and a growing church is the temptation to begin looking to ourselves and our own skills and our own gifts and our own resources to accomplish the work of the gospel. And so family, we must be diligent. We must be humble. We must be dependent on the Lord at every turn. One way to help us is to be like the early church. To devote ourselves not just to prayer, but to devote ourselves to the prayers. Again, meaning developing regular rhythms in our church life to pray. The early church was devoted to the prayers at different moments throughout the day and throughout the week and throughout the church calendar. And one of the ways that we can guard ourselves and keep ourselves dependent on the Lord is to create meaningful and consistent rhythms by which we come to pray together as a church family. And this explains why we're so committed to things like our monthly prayer and worship service. Every first Wednesday of the month, we come together and we pray. And we do a lot of praying in that meeting. But it's because we truly believe at our core that when Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, he meant it. All of our hopes and dreams and aspirations for the kingdom of God will come to naught if we do not seek Jesus and if we do not seek his strength and the work of his spirit in our lives, in our church, and in our community. This is why we're devoted to prayer times in our community groups, to the Thursday morning men's prayer meeting, to our weekly staff prayer time where we pray for all of you individually and intentionally and to congregational prayers that we pray together here on many of our Sunday morning gatherings. May God help us to stay devoted to the prayers. So, the first followers of Jesus Christ were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the ordinances of the church and they were devoted to the prayers. And I want you to notice as we wrap this message up now that there are two things that happened as a result of their devotion to these four things. First, look at verse 43. It says, And awe came upon every soul 
and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. It says, awe came upon every soul. The word awe is a Greek word that we get our English word phobia from. So fear would be a great translation here. Terror is a great translation here. But yeah, awe and reverence are also nuanced meanings of this Greek word. The idea here is that there was an obvious and undeniable spiritual power among these earliest followers of Jesus. These individuals and this church community in the city of Jerusalem was obviously endowed from on high with serious spiritual power. It was undeniable. As is recorded here in verse 43, there were wonders and signs being done among these apostles and among this church community. And what this looked like is it looked like miracles and it looked like people being healed and it looked like people being delivered from idolatry and the worship of demons to start being worshipers of the one true God. And it looked like courage to stand unwavering in the face of intense persecution and imprisonments and even martyrdom. And yet people like Stephen, the first martyr of the church, found a few chapters later in the book of Acts, could stand there as a young man with his life ahead of him, tons of ambitions I'm sure that he still had and things that he wanted to accomplish. And he could stand there and when the stones got picked up and they were ready to hurl them at this young man, he was ready and prepared to die for Jesus Christ because he was filled by the Spirit of God. And he knew in whom he believed and trusted and the Spirit gave him power to stand there boldly and lay down his life for the cause of Christ. And this undeniable spiritual power struck fear and awe in the people in the city of Jerusalem. When they looked and they said, I might not have all this figured out. I don't, I don't understand their doctrine. I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know who this is. But man, there's something powerful going on here. People that were blind are seeing. People that were lame are, are, are walking. It was remarkable. It was undeniable. And friends, we live in a time of spiritual darkness and deep confusion. We also live in a time where there's growing hostility to Christianity, to our beliefs and to our way of life. And this is causing many Christians and it's causing many churches to soften their commitment to Jesus Christ and his word. And I want to tell you here today that there's a cost to that. What's the cost? The cost is this, that when we soften our commitment to Jesus, and when we soften our willingness to stand firmly in the word of God, it weakens and diminishes the spiritual power and vibrancy of every single church that goes that way. And as a result, churches that go that way become irrelevant and easily dismissible to the watching world around them. How many of the mainline denominations in our nation that have forsaken faithful biblical doctrine are irrelevant today. Their churches are dying. 
People are not being won to Jesus Christ. In an effort to win the culture, they have lost Christ and they're having zero eternal impact. There is a cost to that. But there's another way. There's the way of the early church. There's the way of depending on the spirit and living a counter-cultural life. Being a counter-cultural community that is devoted to the word of God, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And for churches that choose that path, listen to me, there will be an undeniable spiritual power in that church community. People will walk in and they'll, again, they'll say like they did 2,000 years ago, I can't put my finger on this. I don't understand all of their doctrine or their beliefs. I don't even like some of their doctrine or their beliefs. But there is something otherworldly going on in this place and with this group of people. As People are being set free from the destructive ideologies and practices of this present evil age and are being liberated into a life of love, love for God and love for one another. And I would submit to you that for churches like that, their presence in their communities will be felt and will be incredibly relevant. And it will lead to the second thing that happened to the early church. Look at verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added day by day to their number those who were being saved. Friends, isn't that what we want to see? I mean, isn't that like when we really boil it down? Because yeah, we want to see a lot of great things. But isn't that what we're all about? Isn't this what we're here for right now? Like, why didn't we just believe in Jesus, die, and go to heaven? We're here that we might preach Jesus, that we might stand in the truth, that we might love well, so that all people would know. And all people would come to faith in Jesus, and people would get saved, and people would get baptized right here, and they would be in our church, and they would be taught all that Jesus commanded them, and they would grow and mature as disciples, and they would turn around and do the same thing and we would be a multiplying community and the Lord would add to our number day by day those who are being saved. Isn't this what we desire to see happen? It can. Here's this message in one long sentence. Because God was faithful to his church 2,000 years ago as they devoted themselves to these four things and because God has been faithful to this church over the past 75 years, as they've devoted themselves to these four things, we can trust that God will continue to be faithful to us in the years to come, so long as we remain devoted to these four things. Amen? Let me close now with words that were written to this church at its 40th anniversary by one of her very, very best pastors, a man named Hazen Simpson. And you can consider his words as our charge here today. I'll put them on the screen here. And I quote, 
As our church celebrates its history of 40 years, we rejoice in the faithfulness of those that preceded us. Their collective journeys go before us as as an example of faith and ministry, and we thank God for them. Our challenge, he writes, is to so live, remembering that we are equally or more responsible for our present time, and we should so live and serve to establish a greater work for those yet to follow. This is an amazing paragraph here. He says, The world is in the greatest age of all times, and it presently seeks truth. Though they be far from it, let us not be far from taking truth to them. Around us are thousands of people, and they need Jesus. Heal them? Yes. Clothe them? Yes. Feed them? Yes. Visit them? Yes. But our priority is to take the saving gospel of Christ to them. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do rejoice this morning in your faithfulness. God, we are so humbled when we think about The fact that you have preserved your church for 2,000 years across every continent, in almost every language, certainly in every nation, there is a current present witness of followers of Jesus Christ. God, we marvel at your faithfulness. God, we rejoice today in your faithfulness to this church in Santa Barbara. We know there are numerous, wonderful, healthy, gospel-preaching churches right here in Santa Barbara, and they are our sister churches, and we love them, and we pray for them, and we rejoice in them. But today, we are especially profoundly grateful for this church And for your commitment to this church. For your sustaining power in this church. And God, we would only ask that you would continue to be faithful to us in the years to come. Enabling us to be faithful to you. God, we pray that as the world that we live in feels like it's continuing to close in around us. That God, by your spirit you would fill us with boldness and deep biblical conviction that you would help us, Lord, to be a bright light as the darkness grows heavier. Lord, we pray that we would be a pillar and a buttress of truth as the church is called in the New Testament. Lord, we pray that we would continue to be a community of grace and love and humility. And Lord, we pray that in these years to come, that there would be an abundance of fruit, that there would be a mighty harvest of souls through our witness in this city. Lord, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, and certainly in this church, God, would you do a mighty work moving forward. Today, we just want to confess once again that we trust you, that you are our God, that we are your people, that we love you, and that we here today are devoted to you, King Jesus. And it's in your name we pray.
Amen.